Alright, so this morning is Sunday morning. I have no idea what the date is. Uh, we're somewhere in February. What is it? 21st. 21st. February 21st, 2010. Our message today is called Curtain Clothes. Uh, not a clothes <coughs> curtain, but clothes, like clothing. And uh, I want to start with a quote from a German Jew named Wolfgang Simpson. This guy had dramatic supernatural experiences, and they brought him into the reality of who Yeshua was. This is his quote, not my quote. It says, The image of much of contemporary Christianity could be summarized as a holy people coming regularly to a holy place on a holy day at a holy hour to participate in a holy ritual led by a holy man dressed in holy clothes for a holy feet. He didn't mean that as a compliment. For some reason, in the church today, we have adopted things that were never part of the first century worship. Hey, they usually met in homes until they outgrew them. There was no distinction in dress, no special colors, no special distinction to set anyone apart. I want you to think about a holy place. We are in the habit of calling our buildings the church. The term church in the New Testament is ecclesia. It shows up hundreds and hundreds of times. There is not a single instance anywhere in New Testament Christianity where the word ecclesia or church refers to a building. Never. Not even once. It is simply unscriptural to call our buildings churches. However, that word ecclesia appears hundreds of times referring to people. Always when the word church is used, it refers to a group of people. Never does it refer to a building. So perhaps we should start calling this our community center, our meeting place, whatever you want to call it. But one thing I am sure of is this building is not the church. The people sitting in it are the church. You say, well, Eric, it's a distinction without a difference. Now I tell you, it is a huge, huge difference. Because you can go to a church and never be church. As long as going to some holy building is an act of service for us, it alleviates you from being that holy building. We'll get into that more in a minute. A holy day. We call our holy day Sunday. Not biblical. Not, not at all. I'm not telling you it's not okay to worship on Sunday. I'm telling you that the Apostle Paul told Timothy one day was no different than the next. They're all holy days. To which of the days did God not sanctify and say it was good? Say, well, one day was more holy than the other. If you want to fight about that, that's fine, but I guarantee you it is not Sunday. The Sabbath was not a Sunday. So well, how did we end up worshiping on Sunday? That's a whole other message. But when believers in Yeshua were already worshiping on the Sabbath, they wanted another day to meet also in their homes with like-minded believers. And so we had two days of worship. What does that mean about the other five? Were they not days of worship? The book of Acts says they met daily from home to home. Daily. So if we don't have a holy building and we don't have a holy day, perhaps we could keep our holy hour or in this church two or three hours. Really? If two of the hours are holy, what does that mean about the other 22 hours? Why are we always looking for some segment that we can complete and have performed our religious service. How about a holy ritual? Well, it could be. Not necessarily. How many church services focus on building programs? Focus on getting the pastors fatter? 
The gymnasium's bigger. Holy ritual? Holy is doing what God says to do when he says do it. That's what holiness is. Somehow or another we've twisted around to holiness is not drinking. Holiness is not smoking. Holiness is not... We ignore all those scriptures where some men of God did those exact things. Holiness. If your holiness is what you don't do, how are you any different than a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon? Holiness is doing what God says to do when he says to do it. How about a holy man? Oh, I love this one because I'm standing up here. I'm supposed to be that guy, right? If I'm a holy man, what are you? Right? Maybe I should have on a little collar that shows you that I'm different from you. Or maybe I could wear a gown. Well, why don't we just go the whole way and get the hat that hides the horns? Right? Because I need some way to show a distinction between me and you, right? Because, after all, I am the holy man. Is this what the Bible teaches? Not at all. So why do we tolerate it? Why do we let it go? You know, you wouldn't think that it would cause a slight disturbance to preach in blue jeans, right? Uh, I mean, after all, we know Jesus wore a three-peat suit. Don't we? Never saw one. Never in his life. Not at any time. Say, well, out of respect for God, I want to do that. You sow your fig leaves together. I'm going to get my life together. I don't believe that a holy place, a holy day, a holy hour, a holy ritual, or a holy man is what the church needs. But when the church begins to be formed in the people to the extent that you are all of these things, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, then we have something God will dwell in. Turn with me to Leviticus 16. I want to begin to talk to you about the situation prior to Jesus. And then we can examine something called curtain clothing. Who's there? Come on, where are the rest of you? You can't give up on me. I just started. Leviticus 16. The Lord spoke to Moshe. That's Moses' real name. That's what his mama called him. After he died and when they approached Yahweh, the Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark. There was a place where God dwelt, a place where his presence was special, where his name could be announced as Yahweh, the one who exists all by himself, the covenant God, the one who was, is, and is to come, the self-existent one, the God of all of the ages, you could go and stand in his presence. But you could not go whenever you chose. The song that we sang during worship echoed this. Coming to Jerusalem, standing on the outside of a curtain, and longing to be in. Longing, crying to be in. Well, what did the man have to do to go in? This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary. Verse 3. With a young bull for a sin offering, a ram for a burn offering, he is to put on the sacred linen tunic with the linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are the sacred garments. Granted, Aaron had to wear sacred garments to go into God's presence. He had to. He's the only Israelite who's allowed to go in. So he had some kind of garments that signified he would be special, set apart. Aaron had that. What does it say if I wear a garment that separates me from you? I was told recently that pastors are to dress a certain way out of respect for God. Well, let's, let's keep reading. So he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. 
from the Israelite community is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram offering for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own. We see that Aaron comes with great sacrifice. He comes bathed, and he puts on special garments, and then he and he alone can go behind the atonement cover. Do you have any problem picking out Aaron in this group? No? Why? Aaron was dressed a certain way. Aaron had bathed. Aaron was in a place no one else could go to, right? Aaron was absolutely set apart as what the priests call the Kohanim HaKodel, High Priest, or Gadol, High Priest. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. The one special man, Aaron, could go behind the curtain on one special holy place. He could do it in one special holy place, the temple of God. And on one holy day, day of atonement, at one holy hour, the moment he walked in, during one holy ritual, the act of atonement, with special clothing, he could enter in. Sounds very biblical, doesn't it? So what on earth would be wrong with any one of us doing this? What about all of the others? What about all of the others? Turn with me to Matthew 27. Yeah, you get to dance all over your Bible today. That's just part of our fellowship. If you have trouble keeping up, we'll wait as long as we can. Otherwise, you'll just have to trust me. It's very rare that I lie when I preach. And if Jennifer's in the room, I never lie when I preach. Matthew 27. Start with me on verse 50. A curtain, a barrier, an impenetrable barrier. I told you before, this curtain took 300 priests to carry it. It was almost six tons in weight. It was so thick and so massive that it was seen as an impenetrable barrier to the presence of God. And in Matthew 27, starting in verse 50, it speaks of this curtain. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There was not a man on the planet that could tear this. No one who could walk into the temple and grab it at the bottom of its seams and rip it in two and show that he had made the way into the presence of God. So God himself reached down from heaven from the top down and tore it in two, showing he had accepted the sacrifice of his high priest. Yeshua. And if Yeshua is your high priest and you are clothed in Yeshua, how dare you set anything else up as a requirement to go in God's presence? Our king tore the veil showing that every man everywhere who called on him as high priest had the right, the privilege, and the obligation to go where previously only a high priest could go. If you are trusting in His work and not in anyone else's work, but His alone, not you adding to it, not you taking it away from it, but His alone, you need nothing to go into His presence except complete and utter dependence upon Him. As soon as you start to stack up other things, lists of do's and don'ts, clothing requirements, music requirements, it is almost like you are making for yourself again a garment out of the curtain that Jesus tore, isn't it? And yet it goes on all around us. We call them sacred vestments. Even the words 
When you say priest in Hebrew, the word is Kohen. Kohen, right? It has strong uh, associations with the word Kotevit, which is to write. I can't pronounce the one to read right now, but it sounds very much like Kohen. A priest was somebody who could read, somebody who could write, somebody who was educated in the way of the Lord so that he could mediate for you. In Greek, the word is heros, priest. To the Greeks, their priests were heroes. Not men who could simply mediate, but great heroes. In Latin, the Latin Vulgate, which was written in the 400, when you say the word priest, sacredos, the sacred ones. Do you see how there began to be a division between priests, men who could mediate because they knew and understood God's word, they could read it and write it, and suddenly they became great heroes. They became the sacred ones. Well, if they're a hero, what are you? If they're the great sacred ones, what are you? Is this what the gospel sets up? Did the gospel say that Jesus died to give access to Joel Osteen to the presence of God, but not you? Billy Graham, but not you. David Wilkerson, but not you. And yet we treat it this way. We treat it this way because we would rather have them pray for us than the person sitting on your left and right. Why would God honor some man you never met's prayer about your life more than he would honor yours? What makes you believe this? Why do you drive 18 hours to get in the car to go hear some great man of God when you have the Word of God sitting right in front of you? I submit to you it's the idea that is almost idolatrous. We have reinstituted the curtain, the holy place, the special man, because we don't want to hear from God ourselves. We're no different than Israel standing there saying, No, Moses, no! You go here for us. We don't want to. He died so that you can. I'm honored when you call me pastor. But if pastor to you means that I'm somewhere you're not, shame on you. That's like looking at a shortstop and saying, Because you're a shortstop, you're better than everybody else on the team. I know I'm a first baseman or a pitcher or a catcher, but you must be better. What do you say on a team when one person is out for their own stats? When one person wants to be in a limelight a little more, isn't that selfish immaturity? Doesn't it actually work against the model of the team? He said, but every team's got to have a coach. Our coach is God. There is no links in the chain between you and him. You have different functions, but you are equal. Don't you dare cede this right to anyone else. It is idolatrous to think somebody hears God hears someone else's prayer more than yours about your own life is idolatrous. The devil's destroyed your confidence because you are intimately aware of your sin, and it works fine having confidence in them as long as you don't know about their sin. But what happens when the famous man of God ends up divorced like was announced yesterday? What happens when the famous man of God's worship leader is outed as a homosexual? What happens? Was your faith in men or was it in God? You don't know what I'm talking about. Praise God. Don't worry with it. Don't go Google it. Don't look it up. It'll only break your heart. Men will fail you. Jesus will never fail you. Are you failing Him by not living up to what He's called you? What He's called you. The curtain is torn. There is a new holy man. You want to talk about my dress? You don't like my clothes? I'm clothed in Christ. And if you can't see that, I shouldn't be your pastor. But I tell you what, you shoot me in the head before you'll make me wear, wear one of those little gowns. <laughs> Not happening. 
<laughs> and I may shave off my beard to go speak in a UPC church because I want them to hear the truth. And I will try to be all things to all men, but I will not re-erect a curtain between men and God and institute a division of clergy and laity. Say, so, well, shame on those men of God that have done it. Well, shame on their people for wanting to lift them up. What is it with our fascination with movie star personalities? Can you imagine if this was the church at Houston? Right? If this was the church at Ephesus? If this was the church at Thyatira? No, we put on our signs. We put on our signs. This is Eric Stevens' church. Not here. Will not happen. This is so-and-so's ministry. I have lived to see God tear those down. Because if it is a man's ministry, if he is the great man, the great pope of the Protestant world, God will thump him in the head for stealing his glory. He'll show the whole world just how pitifully weak, what a wretched sinner he really is. You want to be powerful? You recognize your weakness and allow God to lift you to heights. Don't allow men to lift you up. It is Him we must be clothed with, including His washing, His sacrifice, and His resurrection. There are no great men of God. There are pitiful, wretched sinners who He is sanctifying and He is calling saints. Your trust is misplaced. How many times must we see this? So Eric, are you talking about even you? Absolutely I am. I stand before you but for the grace of God. Some of you have felt God's power work through me. Some of you have heard His voice speaking anointed words to your ears. And I'm just as fragile of a container as you are. And if you think otherwise, talk to my wife. So what does that mean that you're in sin? No, I'm not standing up here in sin. To the best of my ability, I am righteous before Jesus, credited righteousness, and I am doing everything that I can to walk in it in holiness. But I am no different than you. Why don't we hear this preached much? Well, maybe you wouldn't send your hundred and expect seven hundred back. Maybe if you thought I had a Learjet and a certain kind of suit and a certain kind of car, I could appeal to your greed. But what kind of fish do you catch with that kind of bait? I don't want it. I don't want it, and you shouldn't want it. The great men of God through the history have been the most humble men on the planet. In days before there was mass media, they refused the attention of others. And God honored that. And the reason you know their name is because God knew their name. Not because they had a publicist and a manager and a secret service team. You ever been there? Go clean up on aisle three. Oh, this one's falling. Get a towel. Men all over the building are listening to their, their microphones. Yeah. I'm telling you, if you can hear from an earpiece but can't hear from the living God, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. And if you get slain in the spirit in this church, I, most of the time I'm going to let you fall. If God knocked you down, he can catch you. <laughs> if I do catch you, it's because i got something to say to you that I want you to hear before you fall. I'm not against being slain in the spirit. But I also don't see it as the mark, the end-all, be-all of Christianity. I want to tell you the truth. I'm probably 250 pounds at this point, gaining a pound a day like a cow. If I want to push you down, I can probably push you down. I only want the authentic move of God. And I'm sick of the parlor tricks. I'm sick of them. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6. through 6. If you don't want to turn to this one, it's okay. I'll quote it correctly. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. 
the testimony given in its proper time. There is only one mediator. Job 9 says he laid his hand upon man, and he laid his hand upon God, and he made peace. If Jesus is the mediator, if he's torn open the way, if he allows you to enter through his perforated body and you meet his requirements, don't let anybody else put more requirements on you. I was sitting in a Dairy Queen in a little country town. Somebody said, I saw on your recording, you wore a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops on Wednesday night. That passes for okay in your church? It was with kind of a scowl. I said, yeah, I'd be glad I didn't wear a full-length one-piece garment called a tunic. So, well, we just, we feel like you should show respect for the house of God. I had trouble not laughing out loud. Okay, you need to hear me. And you need to know something. You know me. Okay, there's no cultish tendencies here. I am the house of God. You understand that? His spirit lives in me. And let me tell you another secret. You are the house of God too. You want to show respect for the house of God? Wear something that doesn't choke you to death when you sing in praise. You want to show respect for the house of God? You wear something that allows you to move freely in His presence and not stand there like a corpse dressed for a funeral. This make me more holy? This make me more holy? Somebody poured a whole bottle of anointing oil on my head today. That doesn't make me more holy. The act of faith that did it blesses the people. Blesses me. Saints, somewhere we have gotten into a Constantinian delusion. The early church had no great buildings. We have all the great buildings in the world. The early church had the power to raise the dead. When's the last time you saw that in the United States? Do you want the buildings or do you want the power? Do you want the garments or do you want the man's character? See, we need to decide. Are we going to settle for the superficial or are we going to press in for the supernatural? I want the supernatural. So, Eric, can't we have both? Yes. Yes. I will wear a coat out of respect for you. I will do that for you. I will not do it out of respect for God because He doesn't want it. I have seen men dress certain ways. Their whole congregation does. It's an attitude of their heart. They are trying. It's almost a form of worship. They're trying to express a love for the Lord. I get it. Out of respect for them, I'll do it when I'm in their churches. But how dare you come into mine and demand it? Because my God does not. He does not. You know what He requires? For me to handle the word seriously. He requires me to be broken before Him. My walk is not dependent upon special clothes, places, or special people. You ever heard pastor worship? We say that we haven't. I can tell you the place in my life my pastor had prophesied so many things correctly. I would rather hear him prophesy to me than have to go work to hear myself. So God separated us. He's not interested in umbilical cord Christians. He birthed you because he wants you to stand on your own two feet. I am here to help guide you to him, not be a replacement for him. I want you to consider before you call me next time. Can this go to the throne or must I go to the phone? I want you to consider that. Don't call me and ask for pity. It won't work. You know me. It won't work. What you'll get is somebody who will intercede beside you. Who'll go to the hospital with you. Who'll go pray in the morgue with you if that's what it takes. 
But you better be on your knees before the throne because I can't give you anything he hasn't given me. And if he'll give it to me, why wouldn't he give it to you? This message is missing from the church because they want you dependent upon them so that you will give them your money. I don't want your money. I want your lives. And when he has all of your life, your money will go where it needs to go. I'm not interested in you paying for an admission, what, what this man called a holy fee. If that's your attitude, keep it. May you and your money perish. You hear me? But if what you want is a holy life, we will teach you that. We will teach you that. And when I fall, I expect you to help me. And when you fall, I will help you. But none of us will truly be fallen because we will always be trusting Jesus. At best, it will be a momentary stumble. There's not going to be a decade in this pastor's life where he is backslidden. Not going to be ten weeks. I hope to God there's not going to be ten hours. I'm asking for his power to sustain me. For his word to guide me. And for the fellowship of believers to correct me. When is the last time you heard a pastor say that? But aren't all believers expected to receive correction? Why is pastor any different? But he's the senior pastor. Show me that title in the word. Why not just call him the most right reverend? And by the way, if a man is a reverend, what is everyone else? If a man is a minister, well, what are you? How about this ridiculous term? Full-time Christian ministry. You meant there was a part-time program? (laughs) How about a one-quarter program? Can I just hop in on the 5% ministry? It doesn't work that way. It's all in or all out, saints. Let me, let me ask you this before we move on. And I trust me, we are going to move on. That man did that and he's a pastor. Well, what do you do when you find out you are a nation of priests? Have you done it? Because you are a, a priest. How ridiculous. Say, but it's required that those who preach and teach the word receive a stricter judgment. It's required. Absolutely. All of our functions receive different correction from the coach. Does that make you more important or less important? Not at all. Not at all. My walk is dependent upon the work of Yeshua and my daily baptism into his death and resurrection. Have you ever considered that by calling our buildings churches, by adopting religious dress, by holding a certain kind of service, and raising up special holy men, we are reconstituting the curtain that Jesus tore down. We are laying layer upon layer upon layer of requirements for you to get into the presence of God when the only requirement was that all of your life be His. By the way, if Jesus wants me in a ridiculous monkey suit, what do they do in the Congo? What do they do? What do the fishermen do in Israel? How, how ridiculous. You know maybe one of the saddest things I've ever seen is everywhere American missionaries have been? Even if the people live in grass thatch huts, suddenly churches with steeples and brick buildings appear. Even if the people walk around shirtless because it is their culture, suddenly on Sunday they wear ties and long sleeves and sweat to death. Why? Why? Jesus never wore those things. Because something about us likes to sew fig leaves together and cover our nakedness. We want to look good on the outside. If one special man has more access to God, what does that say about other believers in the work of Jesus? 
If that man is signified by his color or his robe or his special suit, what does that say about everyone else? If we go to church that is the building, what are you when you're outside of it? If you go to church, what are you at home? What a great question that is, isn't it? Well, I go to church and I'm a Christian. Really? I go to McDonald's. I've never turned into a Big Mac. I once went to a hockey game and I cannot ice skate. Does going to Germany make me German? Hmm? What are you when you're outside this building? Your proximity has nothing to do with your holiness. Whether in this building or out of this building or whether in this body or out of this body, you better be the Lord's. You better be the church of God. The man who came and shook things up at our particular religious institution when Matthew and I were kids was quoted on his local radio program, local television program, a newscaster, right there. He took a topless bar, knocked down all the poles except one, right next to the pulpit. He made it a church that seated about a thousand people. And the church area, he called it the gathering. His altar call was the theme song to cheers. Don't you want to go where everybody knows your name? <laughs> he preached in blue jeans, t-shirts, and flip-flops, but saw an amazing harvest. Well, the local community was appalled. So they came out and said, how dare you make a building like this a sanctuary for the living God? They had to cut to commercial when he looked right at her, pointed his finger and said, Lady, a sanctuary is a place you keep birds, but the church of the living God cannot be contained in four walls. They have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, uh, commercial, commercial. <laughs> I defy you to find one example where a building is called the church in the Bible. You don't even start to see them in history until about the year 400. You don't even see them then. What happened by that time? Well, the wolf put on sheep's clothing and started putting buildings everywhere. The gospel that had gone out and been translated into 400 languages was reduced to one, and it was never God's language. You might rightly call it pig Latin, but they just call it Latin. Genesis 3-7 has this verse. It's familiar to you. I love that you turn there, but I'm not going to wait on you. The eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. If this was written today, they would have put on three-piece suits and hidden in the buildings that were called churches. Were they interested in walking with God or simply covering their shame and getting out of His peering gaze? Why do you attend church? Are you interested in walking with God? Or are you just interested in hiding your shame in nice clothing and camping out in a crowd, but not walking with Him? Let me ask you, if I didn't put this on your back, if we simply said American Christians... What percentage do you think are trying to walk with God and what percentage do you think are just hiding their nakedness and camping out in a building? Hoping nobody ever calls them out personally. The best moments in my life have been when I've been completely embarrassed publicly. It provoked change. You ask me something. You tell me something. Was Jesus scared to put people on the spot? 
I show you example after example where he's the most offensive man of his generation. And he is the Lord of the universe. He is worth it. You need to think long and hard about how much the God of all comfort actually cares about your comfort. He wants you to be comfortable in his presence. He wants you to be wholly uncomfortable outside of it. You understand? If you squirm when you walk into church, when you hear a word, maybe you need to consider he's trying to chisel something out of your life. Lord, form me into your image, but look, leave some of me too. When you look in the mirror, if you don't see Jesus staring back at you, there's still work to be done. You can expect more chiseling. I want no more fig leaves. I want to be naked before God so that I can learn to be clothed with Christ. Here's one I do want you to turn to. It'll be in the book of Galatians. So from where you're at, you'll want to go a long ways to the right. Galatians comes in a series of epistles. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. General Electric Power Company. Giants, EPs, and Carrots are the great and exalted Preston Coles. Whatever you, uh, whatever you prefer. I'm just wondering if he listens to all these messages, what he thinks about this. We're going to be in Galatians 3, verse 26. You are all sons of God. You are all sons of God. Do you know what that says in the original language? You are all sons of God. It doesn't say those of you with ridiculous hats are sons of God. It doesn't say those of you that dress a certain way are sons of God. Those of you that live in a certain place are sons of God. It says you are all sons of God. Why do we want to add requirements beyond that? If you are a son of God by way of your faith in Jesus the Christ, don't you let anybody add requirements to the cross. So, Eric, if we're sanctified, there are certain things we'll do. Sure, they come under the direction of the Holy Ghost. And truthfully, also the guidance of the ministry team God's put in your life. Because apostles, teachers, prophets, pastors, and evangelists are put here for the maturing of the body. But they're not put here for the replacement of the body. You know what? At this point, I shouldn't have to pray for anybody to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Because when one of you wants to get baptized in the Holy Ghost, look how many of you there are between that person and me. Why don't one of you do it? Say, Eric, would you come pray for so-and-so in the hospital? Absolutely, I will. I love you. i got more time than most of you. I will do it. But is there somebody that lives closer, could get there quicker? But we wanted our pastor to come pray. Why? If he's the right kind of pastor, he ought to be teaching you to pray with power. See, James said that Elijah was a man just like us. Just like us. By the way, what kind of suit did Elijah wear? (laughs) Yeah. Any of you want a particular kind of belt? A hairy garment? Go eat some locusts? I got a feeling he wouldn't be accepted in many people's churches today. But he was the church. Not accepted in a building called the church, but was the church standing in the parking lot. How about that? Which would you rather be? You were all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ. Have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one. Gabe, what's that word? All one? Yeah. maiden. Yeah, Ehad in Hebrew. You're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Think about this. You could be sitting in here 
having been the lowest element of society, sitting next to the highest element of society, and what does God say about you? You are one in Christ. He tells rich people, don't you take pride in your high position. He, say, he commands them to do certain things with their wealth. He tells poor people, don't you look down upon your position. You've been exalted in Christ. It's the meek that will inherit the earth. Let me ask you something. What are we doing reinstituting classes in our churches? Those people and these people. Do you know pastors are actually told, don't get too close to them? Hang out with others who are on staff because if they live next to you, they won't respect you? Well, that's a twofold problem. Maybe those men are not living lives worthy of respect, number one. But number two, if you won't respect somebody that's just as human as you are, you would not have respected Jesus. Do you overlook somebody because they have a flaw? Well, what about you? Will you only learn from those that have no flaws? Well, what do you do when they're outed on national TV over and over and over again? How many generations do we have to do this ridiculous game? Well, I just believe so-and-so is a great man of God. Look at all those people. I can show you lots of men of God, <laughs> lots of men who had great crowds that were not men of God. Hitler thought he was bringing in a millennial reign. Did you know that? He called it the Third Reich, the Third Millennium. He's embraced as a superstar. He reduced pornography. He reduced crime. He's also a devilish, Haman-like antichrist. Saints. We have a responsibility, and as long as we shrug it off on a building, a place, a time, and a special holy person, you know what you're doing? You're alleviating yourself from having to do anything except pay a holy fee. This is not Christianity. It is not the followers of the way. It is not the followers of the way to sit and soak and listen to a sage on a stage. That is not the followers of Christianity. I want to show you things in the letters of the saints. But before I get there... We need to turn to 1 Peter. That's good. You'll be working to the right in your Bibles. You hit Revelation, you went too far. 1 Peter 2. 4. Miss Jennifer, would you grab a bottle of water? I don't know why something made me yell today. I'm going to stop yelling. Y'all all here fine. No, no, come on. 1 Peter 2, I don't realize I'm doing it. 1 Peter 2, 4. As for you, come to Him. <laughs> As for you, come to Him. How complicated is that? As for you, come to Him. He doesn't say, As for you. Thank you. As for you, call the priest. As for you, call the pastor. As for you, go find somebody with a special anointing. He says, as for you, come to him. The living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God. Well, what does it say to you when everybody chooses the man? If Jesus was rejected by men and chosen by God, if he said, woe to you when all men speak well of you, what do you think when they write best-selling books at Walmart? Hmm? Red flags ought to go off. Because when a word is penetrating... When a word strikes between soul and spirit, the lost don't love it. You understand? If all it is is a giant bless me gospel, if all it is is a way to pacify your conscience to sew together fig leaves and have you hide among the trees, everybody will love it. 
That's why the news media runs out when that popish devil shows up in his pope mobile. They, they run out and they love it. They applaud it. They applaud it. They'll applaud the Antichrist too. But if Jesus were there, there would be no TV ministry right there excited supporting him. I promise. You know how we can know that? Human beings have not changed and they didn't. They didn't. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones. What was Jesus called? What are you called? Sounds like you're the same substance to me. He is the foundation, but you are built upon Him. Living stones are being united into a spiritual house. What are you? When you stack Suzanne right next to Patricia, right next to Jana, right next to Brad, you are beginning to build the house of God. Does it matter if they're sitting out there or in here? Is somebody more holy right outside this window or inside this window? What a ridiculous concept. But we go to church to serve God. No, we go to church to meet with the church of God. When you say go to church, you better mean that you're going to believers, not to a building. There are actually churches right now that to pay their bills because they built a beautiful church. It's not a church at all. To pay their bills during the week, they're renting them out in this city to cults during the week. What? Matthew was there with me. Sunday, Church of the Living God. Saturday, Kingdom Hall. Friday, doesn't matter whether it's Islam, whatever. Whatever kind of workshops you'd like to hold, the building is for rent. Dance hall, maybe. What difference does it make? It's little more than a film studio on Sunday anyway. What difference does it make? You are the church and the temple of God, and you ought to be grieved at these thoughts. My goal is not to pick on other ministries here. My goal is one thing. For you to see yourself rightly so that you will act rightly. If you wouldn't do it in a church, don't do it in your life. If you think a pastor ought not to do it, you ought not to do it. If you think it's the kind of thing a pastor should do, guess what you should be doing. If it's the kind of thing you would hope to go to a church and find, it ought to be found in your home. See, there is no separate standards. You're all priests of the living God. How many of you think Stephen was just a little guy in the faith? He wasn't even fivefold ministry. Mm. He didn't have a giant church with his name on the side. You don't know what kind of speaker or fundraiser he was. You don't know whether he could cause your church to grow or not. You don't know how well received his books and CDs would be. You don't know anything that would make him a popular American pastor. But you know he gave his life for the gospel and he got recorded in the Holy Word. How about that? You know that miraculous signs followed him. You know he was said to be full of the Holy Spirit. You know that nobody could refute his wisdom. And what was his job in the church? Table waiter. He handed out bread. For in the scripture, oh, I'm sorry, spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. What is wrong with the idea of one man wearing something different than everyone else to show how holy he is? No man in the kingdom is different from any other man. There is no longer the high priest's sacred vestments because you are standing inside of the high priest and you are called his body. 
This is why I won't separate myself from you with dress. It's funny. For one, it's a sign of respect. For another, it's a sign of a giant ego. I refuse to put a parking space up front that says, Pastor. If your pastor won't walk from the edge of the parking lot to get into the building to meet with the saints, he might not be your pastor. Thinking a great bumper sticker might be, would your pastor help you move? (laughs) For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become a capstone. A stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that causes them to fall. Why are you so interested in looking respectable to the world? Why in our church pulpits do we imitate the businessmen in their Wall Street suits? Jesus himself, his very appearance, caused them to stumble. There was no beauty or majesty to draw us to him. But we take on those titles, don't we? Titles Jesus never wore. We take on those garments, garments that he never wore. We take on all of this exaltation that he never accepted. And then we wonder why his power does not work through us. What an amazing thing. But you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. What are they supposed to see? Your clerical collar? Are they supposed to see your great wealth that God has given you? Are they supposed to see all of the many blessings? They're supposed to see your good deeds. I submit to you it's possible to wear sandals, a ridiculous Hawaiian shirt, Shorts that barely button anymore. (laughs) And be clothed in Christ because you are doing the deeds of Christ. And it is equally possible to wear a Pope suit and be nowhere near Jesus. Now there are many godly men that wear all kinds of things. I am not against dress. Not of any kind. I appreciate that there's a variety of dress in here. I really do. I love to see some at one end of the spectrum and some at the others and everybody equally content before God because it proves our point. I am not preaching against a kind of dress here. Although if you walk in on one of those ridiculous hats, I'm going to ask you to take it off. It'll be distracting. What I'm preaching about is an attitude that sets one above the others as some kind of special, iconic, demagogue-like figure. This is wrong. You understand when the secular boss pulls in and his car's got to be nicer than everyone else's. You understand when he pulls in and his dress is nicer than everyone else's. He's clothed in pride of accomplishment. But you ought never be able to tell that about a man of God. What should he be clothed in? He needs to put on the attitude of Christ, making himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, not considering equality with God something to be grasped. He should submit to death, even death, daily on a cross so that God can exalt him. 
Does that sound like parking spaces up front, the best clothes, the best everything? Doesn't to me. Somebody recently asked about this. And through an interpreter, I asked if my brother Abel would tell him. I said, you tell him your pastor is the first to carry bags of concrete. He's the first to get down in a ditch and dig. He's the first to begin moving furniture. I care nothing for suits. I care everything for the deeds of Christ. The brother smiled and said, this, this is good. <laughs> he can dress like he wants to. I'll dress like I want to. But we better both be clothed with Christ. You are the temple of God individually and corporately. You have no more or less responsibility to act like it when in or out of this meeting place. You are not supposed to be more holy here than you are out there. You're not supposed to be more holy out there than you are here. You're supposed to be equally holy all of the time. For the Word says, be holy even as I am holy. Is God more holy on one day of the week? Then why did He say, be holy even as I am holy? He expects you to be that way 24-7. You are His house, His Bethel, His temple, as Corinthians calls you, everywhere you go. Not just here. You need to consider what you're putting in the temple. Everybody likes to talk about this one. Yeah, I don't do this and I don't do that. Really? What did you eat yesterday? I'm not concerned with food or drink. The kingdom of God is not a matter of such things. I am concerned with what you're feeding your spirit. I am concerned with what you put up with in the name of entertainment. And I have been personally very convicted about this. My mind cannot be baptized in salt water and fresh water at the same time. We must be renewed in the image of God. So you can walk around and say, that one drinks wine. They're going to hell. And you just got baptized in the most horrific, gruesome movie that the world has ever known, corrupting your mind. At least the wine's going to pass right through your body. The other one has a tendency to linger. So, well, I do neither. Why aren't you righteous? <laughs> Have mercy on the rest of us that do. You are the priest of God like his ambassador speaking on his house. Not on Sunday or Wednesday. Every day that is your role. You don't have a role to speak or preach for God on Sunday and Wednesday. You have that role every day. When is the last time you used it? I'm not just a priest of God. You are a priest of God. Who are you being an ambassador to? Many of you are sitting out there now because somebody was an ambassador to you. Who have you been an ambassador to? You must not cede these responsibilities to a holy man or a holy place. In the plainest sense of the word, that is pagan idolatry. When you give up the right to be a son of God, when you give up the duties of sons of God in favor of someone else that you pay to perform, that's idolatry. And it's rife. It's everywhere. This is why American Christianity is completely powerless. But when you begin to anguish in your heart over the things that you see that are going on, when you desire enough to see a difference that you're willing to do something different, then the church of God begins to rise. How many times have you sat and correctly laid your finger on the problem of the United States? This is the problem and that is the problem. This is wonderful. What are you doing about it? I want to tell you that in the workplace, when you walk from one room to another, you should pray about the people that are there. You should be willing with your knees shaking together if you have to, to go speak to them. 
When you go to Walmart to buy bread, you need to consider that you might be there to give the bread of heaven. We must be on duty for the Lord. It cannot be going to a holy place at a holy hour to hear a holy man for a holy fee. It doesn't work. The world is going to hell while we sit and soak. We must be the authentic body of Christ. How excited would you be if this arm didn't work? If it only worked one day a week? If it only worked when you paid it? And it only worked if you talked nice to it? One thing that I love, I've been discipling my son. When I tell him to do it, he does it immediately. It's not required that I explain it. You know why? I am the Father. He is the Son. Do you make God explain, confirm, do you negotiate with God? You might need to consider that He's less of your God and more of your cosmic genie. It is a kindness when I sit down and explain to my son why I do what I do. And I do that when I have the opportunity because I want to teach him. And I want to teach him to be better than me. It is a kindness when God explains to you why he does what he does. It is not required. But obedience is. You go read Romans 1, five one time. He says, I called men everywhere to the obedience that comes from faith. You cannot claim to have faith that saves you if you have no obedience in your life. I thought it would be appropriate at this point to read you a couple quotes. In that theme of moving away from idolatrous movie star type exaltation of our spiritual leaders. Don't close your Bibles. Don't do that. I'll keep you another hour if you close your Bibles. Francis Ashbery and Thomas Cope were friends of John Wesley. I've been interested in Wesley lately because I was going to go speak with one of his churches. They came to America to spread the Methodist movement. They were handpicked by John Wesley to go forth and spread the Methodist movement. They were received so well, were so fired up, and having such a monumental success that people gave them the title bishop, and they accepted it. This is what Wesley wrote in a personal letter to them that has survived to this day. I study to be little. You study to be great. I creep. You strut along. Do not seek to be something. Let me be nothing and Christ be all in all. How can you, how dare you, suffer yourselves to be called bishop? Before I read any further, these were his friends. (laughs) I shudder. I start to shudder at the very thought. May men call me naive or a fool, a rascal, or a scoundrel, and I will be content. But they shall never call me by my consent, Bishop. That was a man of God who refused exaltation because he didn't want to be seen as anything different than anyone else, just with a different function in the body. Where is that today? How about this one? There's some things I love about Luther's life. Some things were horrific, and some things were horrifically wonderful. All Christians are truly priests, and there is no distinction among them except as to office. Everybody who is baptized may maintain that he has been consecrated a priest, a bishop, and a pope. (laughs) He said that while the pope was trying to kill him for writing the Bible in the vernacular of the people. 
said, well, he had personal motivations. They were political. All of that may be true, and yet the truth of the statement still remains. You are a nation of priests. We must act like it. The word saint, saint, S-A-I-N-T, saint, never appears in the scripture. Not one time. The word saints, plural, it appears in the scripture almost 70 times. There is no such thing as a great man of God. What there is is a great body, community of believers that are being sanctified, and together we are all great saints of God. We need to quit trying to lift up a pinky and calling it a head. We need to join together as a fist of God, as a hand of God, as the body of God. There is no such thing as an individual saint of God, but there are saints of God. None of you would be anything without the body of Christ around you. None of you. And all we need to do is prove that, is exalt a man until he feels as if he has no peers, he's uncorrectable, he doesn't have a mentor anymore, he's not doing anything except the great man of God, and they fall faster than dominoes. How many times must we see it? But you consider yourself equal with every other player on the team, all submitting to the same coach, loving one another. Moving one another, cutting each other's grass, changing each other's oil in the car, bearing one another's financial responsibilities in a time of need. Whatever it may be, we're all equal. When we do this, our God can move in our midst. I'm going to give you some not to read. I want you to just hear this. I could not believe it. I've been studying the Word now for 17 years on a daily basis. Put some serious hours into this, and I never noticed it. There are letters that Paul wrote to his apostolic co-workers. There's no question about that. Like when he writes to Timothy. He's writing to a leader in the church. But I could not get over the number of letters that never, at any time, even begin to address the leaders in the church. I couldn't believe it. Listen to the introduction to these letters. Here's Romans. Romans 1.7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called by God to be saints. Who's the letter addressed to? To everybody who loves God. Why didn't he write it to the great man of God there? To get his sheep in order. He wrote it to the body at large. Think about the kind of things that he told them in those letters. Tells them to correct each other. To rebuke each other. To encourage each other. It was not some great holy man's job to do for a fee. It was the work of the body of Christ. How about 1 Corinthians? I've been teaching this book and didn't notice this. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. This letter actually tells you to throw people out of a church. And it never mentions a pastor. It tells you to have order in your prophecies. It tells you how to order a home. It talks to you about reorganizing the whole church and is not addressed to a pastor. It's addressed to the body of Christ. Can you imagine what personal responsibility they all took in the gospel? I have a problem with saying this church is not my church, it's yours. I have a problem with that because usually when an American says it, it's like a democratic appeal. Like you have ownership in it. The only one that owns anything here is Jesus, who sweat, drops of blood for it. 
you don't own this church. You are the church, and Jesus owns you. Galatians, Paul, an apostle, set not by man or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and to all the brothers with me, to the churches of Galatia. Not to a pastor, to the churches of Galatia. You can do that in Ephesians. You can also do it in Philippians. You can do it in the Colossians. You can do it in First and Second Thessalonians. The point is there were no great men of God being addressed. All believers there were equal and there were no divisions between clergy and laity. So what you could address to the body applied to all. If a pastor is a pastor, does he cease to be part of the body? If the apostle is there, does he cease to be a part of the body? So it encompasses everyone. No one escaped the correction. No one escaped the encouragement. All nine players were equal. Corinthians 12 actually said, I want all of you to do these things for the common good. And yet we come to church to hear a man speak. Did you bring something to church today? Did you bring a word? Did you study and seek God and care and pray for someone else in here? And you couldn't wait to see them and encourage them. That's what makes a church, not a building. That's what he encouraged the body at Corinth to do. Not to exceed in their own special personal gifting, but to do things that edified everyone else. This is what I'm encouraging you to do. Don't wait for Matthew to do it. Don't wait for Eric to do it. Do it yourselves. Do it among yourselves. None of you have been beaten up for trying in here. None of you. If you have, I'll stand corrected. Get out and try. You're as much a priest as any of us are. Some of you are called to be more so. <coughs> I'm running long on time. Suffice it to say that in Matthew 23, 8-12, Jesus says, don't take these titles upon yourself. You have one Father. You have one teacher. In the same exact passage, he says those guys love their positions of honor. Those guys love their flowing robes and their long tassels and their wide phylacteries. They had set up divisions between them and the people. And Jesus dwelt among the common people. He hated that. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 5, he says, What after all is Apollos? What after all is Cephas or Paul? Fellow workers through whom you came to believe. Fellow workers. You know why I told them that? They had a propensity to lift one man up over another. The moment you fall into that trap, it lessens you. You want to admire men of God? That's fine. Admire the ones sitting on your left and right. Leave the leaders out of it. Just do what they say. That'll be enough. Just do what they say. That'll be enough. No special... Honor, no special respect. Just do what they say. That is like giving them double honor. But don't lift them up like movie stars. Here, that's probably not a problem. In John 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. He did not say that to a special class of people. <coughs> Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. 
Does this sound like we need a great man of God or we just need anyone out there to have some faith? Hmm? I found out that the king of the universe likes to heal people through men of little account and no reputation. They don't steal it from him. So there are these little pastors that work with Heidi Baker that don't even have last names and they're illiterate. But when they pray for dead people, they get up. You can't put their name on a sign. And if you did, they couldn't read it. But they trust God. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Saints, it's time that we grasp that and we begin to believe it. In the Corinthian letters and the Thessalonian letters and all of those letters, believers are encouraged to organize themselves, to discipline themselves, to discipline fallen members, to abound in the work of the Lord, to prophesy to one another. Thessalonians' letters tells them to warn the unruly, to comfort the feeble, to support the weak, to edify one another, to encourage one another. These are all things generally associated with the pastor's job. I'm telling you today, it is certainly not my job alone. Those letters were written to the body of Christ to do one to another. This goes back to, am I my brother's keeper? Well, if you're not, who is? If you're not, who is? Well, a special holy man for a special holy fee. Well, if you don't love them enough to do it, why would you expect me to? Our church can soar to supernatural heights. I know this. But it will not get there on the back of Matthew Pero or Eric Stevens. Never going to happen. We're fellow servants through whom many of you came to believe. We were blessed with some of the rest of you. But when you begin to stand up and be what God's called you to be, our church, it soars to supernatural heights. And some of your eyes are tired. Don't know why. Maybe you didn't take today seriously enough to get a good night's rest. And some of your eyes are full of faith. All I can tell you is that the message goes out. The same seed is thrown in every heart. What you do with it is up to you. I've stood next to men who heard the same message I did. Today, some of them have already gone on to hell. While others are pressing on heavenward. What you do with this is up to you. We must be the church and not go to church. Furthermore, our relationship with Him must be our our priestly garments. And we must not sew together fig leaves of curtain clothing. To show ourselves holy. Our holiness comes from doing His will. Hebrews 13.10 tells us we have an altar from which those who minister in the tabernacle have no right to eat. If there was a priesthood still out there, they would not have the access to God that you have. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? By the way, 13th chapter of Hebrews actually says... And if you run into your leaders, greet them for us. You read it. It's in the 13th chapter. You can find it. It says, and by the way, greet your leaders. So who do you think Hebrews was written to? The body. This message was for you. It was for me. But let's be honest. I've already devoted most of my life to this. What are you doing? Amen? No holy men. No holy places. No holy hours. Only a holy nation. Y'all stand to your feet. While you're on your feet, I'm going to squeeze in one more scripture. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. 
You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Saints, you are not lacking. You are not lacking miracle power. You are not lacking resurrection power. You are not lacking relationship with the Lord. You are not lacking access to the throne of God, to angelic song worship. You are not lacking unless you refuse to participate. But it's all been made available through the torn body of Jesus. Now let us do something with it. Y'all join the hands of the people around me. I hope there's a day it's hard to do this in here. But I won't change the message a bit to make it happen. We're going to find those who want to live a holy life. Mighty, mighty God. Lord, I'm asking that you would deposit into these people a vision of what you have called them to be. Lord, priests and prophets, everyone. Holy men and women of God, speaking your word to the nations. Lord, I'm asking that you would move them... Lord, up the table. Holy, holy God, that when they speak, they would be carried along by Your Spirit. When they go to move and live and act in Your being, holy God, that they would feel Your presence. Lord, that every man, woman, and child in this place would see themselves as reserved by Your Spirit for Your work. Lord, that none of them would sit on the sidelines. I believe that the time is short and that the stakes are high. Raise up workers in the harvest, Lord God. Everywhere they go, let them see themselves as your workers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.